at this time, I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this for so long. And uh, Ryan Reamer is going to come. Come on up, Ryan. Ryan Reamer is going to come speak to us this morning. Ryan's a pastor. Yeah. <clears throat> Ryan is the pastor at uh, the Church of Christ Church here in town. It's the one over by Safeway. And uh, I just love this guy to death. He is not my brother, um, as some assume that we have, that we are. I mean, he's my brother in Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not my blood brother because I didn't know I listen, not all gingers are related. Look, can I just say that? It's just not a thing. So anyway, I, I love this guy so much. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. And I, I, I love hearing him speak. He's one of those guys that for me, when I get to hear him speak, uh, I, I lean in. You know what I'm saying? Like certain people, I just, I just lean in. And uh, he's one of those guys. So I'm really excited for you to get to hear his very unique voice this morning, and I'm so excited that he's sharing with us. And anyway, thank you, Ryan. Thanks, Love you. Yeah. Love you too. All right. Never been introduced, and somebody said, This is not my brother. <laughs> okay. I'm going to start today in Mark chapter 10, and this is a story about the, there's a big pole here in the way. Hey, babe. This is a story about a rich young man, and uh, he came up uh, to Jesus, and his question for the good teacher is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus' response is something that is easy for him. Um, apparently, um, it's something he's already been doing. Jesus' response is, well, first of all, and I don't have time to get into all of this, I'm sorry, but why do you call me good? Um, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. I'm just going to summarize the rest um, because he says he's already done all of that. In fact, he's been doing all of that since he was young or not doing all those things that he's not supposed to do since he was young. Um, so far, living for God has probably been something that's served him. It's probably gone better for him that he's never murdered anybody. Um, it's probably gone... Uh, better for him that he's never committed adultery or stolen things um, or, or, or lied. Um, he's never cheated others or dishonored his father and mother. He's kept the commandments. He's always thought he was supposed to keep the commandments. It goes well for him with his family if he keeps the commandments. It goes well for him in his community if he keeps the commandments. I'm not saying it was always easy for him to do what he was supposed to do, but it served him anyways. All right? And I know it served him because he's rich. If breaking the commandments means my dad's not going to give me as much inheritance or I'm not going to own as much of the family... Why am I going to break the commandments if it doesn't serve me to do that in some way? Um, 
I, I, I guess I could say I've, I've found myself in a, a, a similar boat, right? Um, I, I grew up going to church. I grew up going to church three times a week. I went Sunday morning. I went Sunday night. I went Wednesday night um, for Bible class. And I always have. It's always been a habit. When I got baptized, I didn't have to start going to church because I already went to church. Um, and it goes well for me and my family, right? Um, it, it, it actually served me. I, 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 didn't, uh, I didn't shake things up by deciding not to go to church three times a week. Um, that would have shaken things up. I, I, kept, I kept doing those things. I'm not saying I was perfect or even good. Um, but I'm saying we can take the parts of following Jesus that serve us and that are easy for us and think that we're doing pretty good and leave the parts that are hard or ignore those parts um, or not. Even even rationalize that we don't have to do it. Um, My first example is the next thing that Jesus says. Um, Because after Jesus... uh, uh, hears from the man that he's done all these things since he was a kid. Jesus loved him, and it says, One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the man went away sad because he had great wealth. Um, What I like to do is, first of all, it doesn't really seem that it would serve me if I actually went and sold everything and gave it to the poor. Because then what would I have? Well, I wouldn't have anything. Um, I, it, it, that, I, I, I like to rationalize and I read it, and it's much more comfortable for me to read it out of Mark 10 and apply it to this man who specifically asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this ultimately is the answer Jesus gave. You're already doing the easy part. Here's the hard part. If you really want to be my disciple, follow me. Is the guy going to get anything from it? Um, well, eternal life's pretty good, and um, he's going to have treasure in heaven, and he gets to follow Jesus around wherever he goes. It's not that the man wouldn't have something great. It's that he's already got something great, and Jesus is asking him to give up this great wealth that he has for something that's even more valuable. Um. This teaching doesn't go away. Sorry. Um, In Luke chapter 14, um, some large crowds were following Jesus. And they were very interested in what he was doing. And because he was healing their diseases and he was doing miraculous things, he was casting demons out of people. Um, he was touching people with skin diseases, and they were becoming clean. He was, he was causing the blind to see. It was amazing what Jesus was doing. Of course he's going to have large crowds following him. Who wouldn't if they were going around doing these things? Why? Because the large crowds want to give up everything to follow Jesus? Is that why they... Well, I think they were there maybe to get cured of their diseases, um, possibly to hear something amazing. If this really is the Messiah, we're going to be on board first thing. 
Uh, and Jesus turns to them at, at one point in verse uh, 25, uh, or verse 26 in, of Luke 14, and says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I, I, I thought it was just maybe for the rich young man that he says, give up everything. But Jesus actually says, if they don't hate their own life, hate their father and mother, hate their brother and sister, does that mean they have literally have to despise those things? Um, it, it means that if they love those things more than Jesus, they won't follow Jesus when those things fall out. Um, sooner or later, a disciple might come to the decision to be in good with mom and dad or to have eternal life with Jesus. Maybe they can't have both. I just talked to a woman um, who, who does missionary work in Cambodia, um, and she asked who among their group of teenagers had ever been persecuted for Jesus. And all of them raised their hand because none of their parents approved of their following Jesus. They still honor their parents. They love their parents very much, and they're good to their parents. Um, but they chose to follow Jesus against their parents' will. At some point, if we have to make a choice between our parents or our family or our, 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 our property or even our own life, we have to love Jesus more or else Jesus says, you can't be my disciple. Can't. And he's not just making a generalization to the people that he's talking to. The large crowds obviously thought that following Jesus was going to serve them in some way. And Jesus, instead of saying, you guys are on the right path, keep following, says, you got to hate everything else. And when it comes down to it, you got to pick me over everything else. You know, that's pretty exclusive. Um, I'm in an exclusive relationship with my wife. Um, hey, babe. Um, <laughs> it serves me in many ways to be married to Angela. Um, however, I gave up everything else. I don't get to be married to anybody else except for Angela. I don't get to have kids with anybody else except for Angela. I don't get to share a bed with anybody else except for Angela. I, I, that was my decision. I'm giving up every other woman. I, I'm, I'm giving up every other experience that I could have. Because what I have with Angela, I think, is better than all of those things. We, we pick what's valuable, and everybody understands that, and it's, it's not difficult to understand. And later on, down here in verse 33, um, Jesus says um, to this crowd, in the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. If I didn't give up every other woman on the planet, I didn't have a bunch of women falling at my feet, don't get me wrong. <laughs> But I say it this way to make a point. <clears throat> if I didn't give up every other woman on the planet, I could not be Angela's husband. She wouldn't let me. She wouldn't have me. 
it wouldn't work out well for me or any of them um, if I tried to do both. And Jesus is saying, you can't have the parts of me that serve you and not the giving up of everything else. Um, just in case we thought this was isolated to only a Mark in Luke's gospel, Matthew records Jesus' teaching on this in the following way. Jesus said to his disciples, and this is after he's predicted his death. Well, that's what the heading in my Bible says. Um, not so sure he was predicting it so much as he knew the reality of it and he was explaining the reality to his disciples. Um, and they didn't like to hear that he was going to die. Um, what would it mean for them, honestly, if their rabbi, the one that they thought was going to be the Messiah, was crucified? Wouldn't that mean that he lost? Wouldn't that mean that he's not the king? Wouldn't that mean that he was, he was powerless? Um, and, and so um, Peter promises that's never going to happen. Um, Jesus calls Peter Satan. And then um, in verse, that's a summary. And then in verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. Now, don't we want to be Jesus' disciples? Isn't that who we are? What does giving everything else up look like for us? It doesn't look like us sitting at our desk and Jesus walking by and saying, follow me. So we literally stand up out of our literal desk, leave all of our work behind, and actually walk with our feet around following Jesus. We don't get to watch all the stuff that he does and hear all the words that he says. Somehow we've got to give up everything um, within our own circumstances. And for the disciples, it did mean leaving everything. They literally walked away from their stuff. They literally walked away from their jobs to go and follow Jesus around, to witness not just his miracles and his teaching, but the fact that he died and was buried and rose from the dead. They didn't just see an empty tomb. They saw a living king. And thank God that they did. I'm so thankful that there was people that were willing to walk away from everything else to be able to say, I know Jesus is alive. This is the reason for my living hope. These guys actually did take up their crosses and follow Jesus. They loved him more than their lives. And they told the world about it because they loved him more than their lives. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. These guys that left everything. How do we follow this example, and, and what do we do? This story is fun. In Luke chapter 14, and this will be our, the main text and the main message I hope that we can walk away with today. 
In Luke chapter 14, um, on, on a Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. You guys know who the Pharisees are? Of course you do. Um, if, you've, if you've been here for a while. Um, the, the Pharisees were kind of a political interest group. Um, they, were, they were Jewish teachers, and they understood the law really, really well, because what they really wanted more than anything was for the Messiah to come um, and to set up their nation as kind of this um, national superpower over all the other nations. Um, and they thought that they would speed the Messiah's coming if they taught the laws really well and got people's behavior really cleaned up. Um, and, and so, obviously, if you're the one that gets to tell everybody what they're doing wrong, it makes you look like you've got a lot of power. And they cared an awful lot about what people thought of them. Um, because they were the ones saying, we got to get this cleaned up so the Messiah can come. Well, what did they want when the Messiah came? Well, they wanted to be like the Messiah's right-hand men, right? Um, and, and they definitely wanted to see all the other nations get their butts kicked by Israel. Um, this is not what Jesus came to do. Um, Jesus came to give living hope to everybody. Um, but... Jesus is at the house of an important Pharisee. This is where he's at. And, um, and there's a, a feast. Um, Jesus does some things that, that, that they don't think that he should do on the Sabbath. Um, and what Jesus notices as he's, as he's doing these things is how everybody's picking out their places there. Um, everybody's picking out the the places that are closest to the seat of honor, right? So imagine you're going to this feast, and um, there's a, it's thrown by a prominent Pharisee, and there's other prominent people there, and you want to be known as a very prominent person. You want to be known as somebody that's important, and so you sit as close to the most prominent spot as you can, and everybody was competing over those places. That's what Jesus saw. Um. Jesus teaches them a lesson there um, about the place that they should pick. Um, the place that probably serves them the least is the place that they should assume for themselves. Um, and then if the, if the host wants to move them up, the host can do that. It was an important lesson. Um, that's just for free for today because um, I'm moving on to verses uh, 12 through 14. And he says this to his host. When you give a luncheon or dinner... Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. Um, why might this Pharisee have thrown this party and invited the guests that he invited because he wanted to honor Jesus? Um, because he hopes to do the community a service? He wants to make the world a better place? Somebody said he wanted to look good. That's why Jesus said the Pharisees did everything. They do everything so that people will look up to them. Even the clothes they wear are to show how important they are. Um, the places they sit are to show how important they are. The guests that they invite are guests that can pay them back. 
Who else does this? Jesus says, everybody does it that way. Anybody who invites a, a, a luncheon invites people that can pay them back. There's a Luke 6 verse next. Um, Jesus says um, in, in Luke chapter 6, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Everybody that throws a party is going to invite people that can pay them back. Um, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you throw parties like everybody else in the world, what difference does it make? What actually sets you apart as a disciple? Um, Jesus says, by the way, think about the last party that you threw. Think, think about it. The, the, the last or, or luncheon or dinner that you gave, um, did you invite your family? Who's going to have Thanksgiving with their family? Yeah. All right. Um, did you invite your uh, your friends? Probably who everybody invites their friends to their parties, right? Um, did you invite um, your rich neighbors, your relatives? Um, Jesus tells this Pharisee, "Don't do that. Don't don't do what we all do. Don't don't invite these people that uh, that that will like you more because you served them." Um, and he says what to do instead. He says e even sinners, e even sinners do good to those who do good uh, to them. Um, in the next verse, verse thirteen of Luke chapter fourteen, says, "But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed." Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What did the Pharisee have to lose? Well, let me put it to you this way. What, what was in it for the Pharisee to invite all of his friends and his rich neighbors and the other Pharisees that were prominent well, he got to look good. He got to get invited to other parties. There was more parties in this for him. Um, there was repayment of some kind. Um, he scratched their backs, and then they're going to scratch his also. Um, for those of you who are younger, that's a figure of speech. I don't think he literally scratched their backs. I'm saying uh, this means he did a favor for them. They're going to do a favor back. That's what people expect. That's what people expect. Um, what did the community gain? What did the people around gain by the Pharisees throwing parties this way? The religious elite. What did they gain? Did anything change? No, the same people in control um, stayed in control of everything and put heavy burdens on their shoulders. That's what kept happening. Um, the same people that were thought of as important kept oppressing people. Nobody that was hungry and poor and crippled and blind got fed or got any better the way that they threw parties. The, the blind and the crippled 
and the poor were left out. So what was the Pharisee giving up if he decided now he was going to start throwing parties Jesus' way? Well, he's giving up the fame. Um, he was actually serving people at his own expense instead of having his service serve him. Um, his generosity and his hospitality wasn't getting him anything back. Yet, Jesus said though, of course that there would be a payoff. Um, this was an important lesson for the disciples to witness. And, and the idea here is that if you throw parties this way, then generosity doesn't just happen when I benefit from being generous. You know, if I'm honest with myself, a lot of what I do actually really serves me. Um, It's uncomfortable for me to think about doing parties differently. I, I like being around people that I like. And I like it when people like me. I like it too much. I'm too much of a people pleaser. Uh, and, and so, to get out of this mindset um, is a way to give up the things that are important to us. Um, why did Jesus have to tell the huge crowds of people that they couldn't be his disciples if they didn't hate their father and mother and their brothers and sisters um, and all of their stuff and even their lives. Well, he had to tell them the truth about what was really in it for them if they followed him. They might lose their lives. Everyone would follow Jesus if there's something in it for them. If I told you, hey, I promise, um, if you follow Jesus, your health problems will go away. And if you follow Jesus, your bank account's going to be fine. If you follow Jesus, your marriage is going to be great. If you follow Jesus, you'll lose weight. Your, your muscles will get bigger, um, and the things you want to get smaller will get smaller. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to follow Jesus? Instant results right away. All you got to do is, is get baptized and you come up out of the water and you live a new life where all of your cares are no longer problems. That's not what Jesus is telling the crowds. But there is a payoff. Um, I want to tell you the payoff because it contradicts a, a, a bit of kind of a me-centered gospel. If I think Jesus died for me so I could get on with my life and have it be better than it was before, I just made the gospel all about me. That's absurd. Jesus didn't just die so that my life could go the way I want it to go. Um, Jesus went to the cross to change everything. Um, to honor the Father and to, to fill the earth with His glory again. Um, and so, I, I, want you to, I want you to check this out. Back to the discussion of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Um, Peter notices something 
when Jesus says this teaching about um, selling everything and giving to the poor and following him, he says, hey, look what we did, though, Jesus. We have left everything to follow you. And this is a moment that causes us to think. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, this is Mark chapter 10 and verse 29, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Um, is Jesus saying, you're going to be rich now, Peter? Is Jesus saying, you'll have a hundred times as much as you had before? No, Jesus is saying, if you live this way, if you throw parties this way, if your life is not about doing things that serve yourself and your generosity doesn't serve you back in some way, you will have a hundred times more fathers and a hundred times more sisters and a hundred times more brothers. I am Jeff's brother. Uh, no matter what he says. We're brothers. I know if I lost my house, I'm saying this in front of everybody. You guys all heard this, and you know it's true. Jeff would let me live at his house, or at least my wife and kids. Because the Myers aren't about generosity that just serves them, and neither are you guys. Uh, look, look what we've got here. Uh, there's at least, is there at least 100 people here? I'm not good with numbers. A hundred times as many fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and homes and fields. And along with that, persecutions. Look, we know what we signed up for. When we lay down our lives, like Jesus says, we have to lay down our lives. And when we give up everything, and when we do generosity, even when it doesn't serve us, that does not leave the world around us unscathed. That changes everything. The reason it changes everything is because that's what Jesus did. I'm sorry, I'm going, uh, I'm going rogue here, but in, this is enough there. In Philippians chapter 2, um, it, in verse 5, um, Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, consider what Jesus gave up here, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And the payoff is, now he's exalted above everybody and everything else. We fill the world with God's glory when we do parties like this. We make ourselves like God when we're merciful and we've got nothing to gain from it, or when we're generous and hospitable and benevolent and aren't getting anything back. The real payoff is not just that it affects me in some good way. 
Yes, if I follow Jesus, my sins are forgiven. Yes, I don't carry around my burden of guilt. Yes, I'm free. But you know what, what, what else is good? It's good for all of you that I'm following Jesus. Um, it's good for the blind that I'm following Jesus, and the poor that I'm following Jesus, and, and the lame and the crippled, and, and everybody who finds himself an outsider. It's good, for, it's good for the world. It's good for our city. If there was one person in Dixon that was following Jesus and was willing to lay down their life for you because Jesus laid down his life for them, wouldn't you be blessed? Yes. What if there was 50 that were willing to seriously die for you because Jesus died for them? Wouldn't you be blessed? What if every Christian in Dixon decided we were going to throw a party where we only invited the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind? Would Dixon change? Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? All right, here's another verse. From Luke 6. In, in verses uh, 35 and 36, and this is after he says, love your enemies and do good to them. Um, do good to those even who don't do good to you. All that stuff that we just read from Luke 6. Um, he, he says um, in verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And we're like God when we do that. We're like God. Even though nobody's seen God, and when we love one another, and for, uh, John writes in, in 1 John chapter 4, when we love one another, he lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So even though they haven't seen him, they've seen us, and they know what he's like. They know it's good for them that he's here. All right. In case you hadn't realized it yet, the church is the party that Jesus is throwing. We are the guests that are poor and crippled and lame and blind that could never pay Jesus back. We've got a room full of people that can never pay Jesus back. That are going to throw parties like he says we should throw them. That are going to be generous when there's nothing in it for us. That are, are, are going to change the world through our benevolence when we don't get a penny back. Because that's what God looks like. And we're here to show people the glory of God. The lesson is yours, um, church. If we had a whole city that did this, we could imagine how Dixon would change. If every Christian in the whole world was generous like Jesus, I can't even imagine what that would be like. But God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, if this is your first time here, 
and you don't know Jesus, um, and you thought that church was a place where the religious elite gathered every Sunday to set ourselves apart from everybody else, man, I'm so sorry you thought that. I, I, I can hardly live with myself thinking that I might have ever made anybody feel like they didn't belong at a party like this. Um, Jeff told me there's, there's water. I know they're doing baptisms soon. If that's your next step and you want to plunge yourself and just be all in for Jesus, this is what you're signing up for. Giving up everything, yes, but look at the payoff. We're your brothers and sisters. We'll be here for you. If, if you got invited here this morning by somebody, now, now you know what they think of you, right? Um, but if you decide to follow him and never look back, um, I, I can't even begin to tell you what the payoff is going to be. I'm so happy that you're here this morning, um, and, and, and I'm so thankful um, to be invited to share this with you. Um, if you guys have any questions, I, I hope you'll ask anybody that you've seen up here this morning. I'll be around um, for a while too, and I'd love if you'd bow and pray with me. Our Father, uh, it's, it's beyond amazing to us what you gave, knowing that there was nothing that we could ever do to pay you back. The price that was paid um, for us to be your children and for our redemption and our freedom um, is more valuable than than anything that we even have to give. And so this morning we we pray that you would give us um, courage to actually be generous when there's nothing in it for us. We pray that the guest list to our parties would reflect um, your own heart. And we pray that you would continuously make us more and more like Jesus. We can't wait to see you someday. Um, and, and Father, we look forward to it so much. Father, we, we give you this hour of, of worship and, and pray all these things um, through the name of Jesus, um, who is our living hope. Amen.